Welcome to Be Transformed with your host, Reverend Christopher Leshberg. Be Transformed is an outreach of Romans 12.2 Men's Ministry, empowering men to overcome and thrive by breaking cycles of addiction, trauma, and generational curses. Romans 12.2's vision is healing families and society by transforming the minds of men into the mind of Christ through discipleship within a community of warriors for the kingdom of heaven. You can text or call them at 512-238-0. 000. That's 238 or Romans-122.org. Romans-the number one, number two, letters T-W-O.org. Now, here's Christopher. Only the obedient believe. Only he who believes is obedient. And only he who is obedient believes. No obedience, no belief. How does that strike you, Isaac? Well, yes, uh, it brings me back to that spiritual stake in the ground of just saying, wow, I had to humble myself to be obedient, to strike down the pride, to hear that. Because how does that those two come together in, in unity? And it just brings me to that lesson that we just listened through through Dietrich Bonhoeffer, that, that cheap grace to the costly grace. And I believe that's probably where it's coming from. <laughs> so, Yes, sir. Bonhoeffer. <laughs> so Dietrich Bonhoeffer, and as Isaac mentioned, the cost of discipleship in his book is where we'll be quoting from often uh, this morning. And, and this is where those particular quotes come from. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer was born in Germany, February 4th, 1906, the son of a university professor and leading authority on psychiatry and neurology. His more remote ancestors were theologians, professors, lawyers, artists. From his mother's side, there was also some artistic uh, blood in his veins. His, his parents were quite outstanding in character and general outlook. They were very clear-sighted, cultured people and uncompromising in all things which matter in life. From his father, Dietrich Bonhoeffer inherited goodness, fairness, self-control, and ability. From his mother, his great human understanding and sympathy his devotion to the cause of the oppressed and his unshakable steadfastness. Just to bring you in a little bit to this gentleman we named Dietrich Bonhoeffer. In 1930, at the age of 24, he became a lecturer at, in systematic theology in Berlin University. But before actually starting his academic career, he went to Union Theological Seminary in New York as a brilliant and theologically sophisticated young man, as one observer quoted. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a great realist. He was one of the few who quickly understood, even before Hitler came to power, that National Socialism was a brutal attempt to make history without God and to be found it on the strength of man alone. Therefore, in 1933, when Hitler came to power, he abandoned his academic career, which seemed to him to have lost its proper meaning. He was not, however, expelled from the university until 1936 and even lectured there in the summer and winter of 35 and 36, as late as 
February 30th of 1933, he denounced on the wireless, on the radio, a political system which corrupted and grossly misled a nation and made the Fuhrer its idol and God. Twelve years later, he will he would pay for his rebellion. He would pay for his outspokenness on April 9th, 1945, just days before the Allies liberated the concentration camp, he was executed. He was martyred. And to note that he could have stayed in the U.S. He could have stayed in England. He had plenty of opportunity to be safe from the challenges, to be safe from the persecution, but he came back. He came back into where he had left his followers, those who he had been teaching to and preaching to, and he was convicted as soon as he had landed in the U.S. that he had to go back for them. He had to go back for the glory of God. He had to be. He had to do something. He had to move with fervency and action and be on mission, and he was martyred for it. Isaac mentioned one of the club, uh, the uh, groups that we had, we have going, and in, in in our curriculum, in our core curriculum here at Romans twelve two, we go from one hundred one conquer series offered by Pure Desire and Soul Refiner to two hundred one Warpath offered by Soul Refiner to three hundred one Seven Pillars of Freedom offered by Pure Desire, and into four hundred one Discipleship Revisited, and in that, we are focused in on this costly discipleship this and beyond and in our culture here at Romans 12:2 is this pops culture we've we reviewed the p for pops plank in a previous episode now we're into the o of pops p o p s obedience and at Romans 12:2 our mission is to disrupt demand through discipleship our vision is to heal families and society through the transforming of the minds of men into the one mind of Christ through discipleship within a community of warriors for the kingdom of heaven. And see, we believe that this obedience is absolutely quintessential. Matter of fact, it is, it's a hinge pin. Without it, there is no belief. If we're not obedient, we're truly not believing. Only he who believes is obedient. And only he who is obedient believes dr roberts uh, pure desire says 100 percent of the time what we truly believe comes out in our actions see we can wear the t-shirt and the cap as i've referred to in several episodes and that's where i felt like i was in my testimony was riding the fence was was saying the right things sometimes doing the right things having an appearance of holiness as isaac had quoted in his testimony but denying its power like having a appearance of righteousness but denying the power but with obedience, with costly grace that Bonhoeffer contrasts from cheap grace. And here are a couple of highlights from, again, costly discipleship. I'm sorry, cost, yeah, costly discipleship. Cheap grace means grace sold on the market like cheap jacks wares. The sacraments, the forgiveness of sins, and the consolations of religion are thrown away and cut, cut prices. Grace is represented at the church's inexhaustible treasury from which the shower showers blessings with generous hands without asking questions or fixing limits. Grace without price. Grace without cost. The essence of grace, we suppose, is that the account has been paid in advance, and because it has been paid, everything can be had for nothing. 
Since the cost was infinite, the possibilities of using and spending it are infinite. What would grace be if it were not cheap? Cheap grace means grace as a doctrine, a principle, a system. Cheap grace means the justification of sins without the justification of the sinner. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship, grace without the cross, grace without Jesus Christ living and incarnate. But see, juxtaposed to deep cheap grace is costly grace. It's the treasure hidden in the field for the sake of a man will gladly go and sell all that he has to, to own it, as Jesus taught us. Costly grace is the is the gospel which must be sought again and again, the gift which must be asked for, the door at which a man must knock. Such grace is costly because it calls us to follow, and it is grace because it calls us to follow Jesus Christ. It's costly because it costs a man his life. And as we know, Bonhoeffer, it will cost him his life, the author of this book that I'm quoting from. It costs God the life of his son. Back to the quotes. Costly grace is the sanctuary of God. It has to be protected from the world and not thrown to the dogs. Grace is costly because it compels a man to submit to the yoke of Christ and follow him. It is grace because Jesus says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Costly grace. And he goes on to say, with single-minded obedience, we, we must have single-minded obedience later in the book. When he was challenged by Jesus to accept a life of voluntary poverty, the rich man knew he was faced with simple alternative of obedience or disobedience. When Levi, other, otherwise known as Matthew, was called from the receipt of custom and Peter from his nets, there was no doubt that Jesus meant business. Both of them were to leave everything and follow. Again, when Peter was called to the to walk on the rolling sea, he had to get up and risk his life. Only one thing was required in each case, to rely on Christ's word and cling to it as offering greater security than all the securities in the world. The forces which tried to interpose themselves between the word of Jesus and the response of obedience were as formidable then as they are today. Reason and conscience, responsibility and piety all stood in the way, and even the law and scriptural quote-unquote authority itself were obstacles which pretended to defend themselves from going to the extremes of anonymity and enthusiasms. But the call of Jesus made short work of all these barriers and created obedience. That call was the word of God himself, and all that is required was single-minded obedience. Mm. In discipleship, we are reminded in Luke 6, 46-47, Lord, Lord, why? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, Jesus says? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? I will show you what he is like. Who comes to me, hears my words, and puts them into practice. Luke 9, 23-24. 
If anyone is to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Luke 4, 26. If, you would come, if anyone would come to me and does not hate his father, mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he is not worthy of following me. Obedience rings through all of these. Amen. Romans 5, 18 through 19, the New Living Translation. Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in the justification in life for all people. For just as through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous. And Luke once again reminds us in 640, a student is not above his teacher, but everyone fully trained will be like his teacher. See, if we're obedient, we can also help influence others to be made righteous. Not in the exact way that Christ did. We are not the teacher. We are not the master, but we can be like the teacher. And what we've discovered at Romans 12, too, where we are here to be not conformed, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind, letting God change the way that we think so that we can become new creations, so that we can be transformed, so that we can know his will for our life, which is good and perfect and pleasing. Our cross is to take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. Isaac, what are your thoughts and experiences? Yes. Thank you, Christopher. Yeah. And Taking every thought captive. I mean, there's statistics that say we can't out-talk our thoughts. <laughs> and I believe that was – got that from Conqueror Series and some of our curriculum. But as you're sharing uh, those verses, those are some of the ones that I know we've sought to memorize and saturate ourselves in our hearts through our Discipleship Revisited uh, 401 class. And uh, just so happens this week, we're on Philippians 2, 1 through 5. And, uh, man, how that just speaks right to it. Uh, it gets to the point of being like-minded and then do not do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Mm. And uh, this was a verse uh, to share a year into that spiritual staking ground from 2017. It was right around 2018 in the December time frame where – I was getting the opportunity to be that vessel to humble myself to share testimony, and this was the verse that was given to me. Uh, glory to God, and and uh, I was able to be in a spot where Pastor Bobby was right beside me after church during a as we we're doing curriculum outpost, and he's standing there, and I was get to ask him. I was like, "Well, I'm giving testimony. Coming soon. You have any advice for me, Pastor Bobby?" And he goes, "Well, have you thought about memorizing the scripture?" I was like. Yeah, that's that's a great idea, <laughs> and then uh, you know, and then you encouraging me along the way and and helping me to be obedient to being prepared and taking the notes and and uh, going through it and just uh, man, just having that word to start seeing that belief in me to be obedient to God's word and demolish those lies to take every thought captive for me is to bring those lies, those limbic lies that we learned that, uh, that have been instilled in there, that I'm better than others, that, that I'm 
right there that I'm better than others. But right here in Scripture, it says that I'm memorizing again this in, through this curriculum. Each that in humility consider others better than yourselves. So right there, that that defeats that limbic lie that I have that I'm better than others, that I don't think more highly than I ought. Be a sober mind in Romans. So this pours out to that, you know, how do I take those thoughts captive? And then early on, I would just, if those thoughts would come up, I'll just start speaking the name of Jesus over them. Just even if I didn't have his word instilled in there to combat those lies, it was just the power in the name of Jesus. This, thank you. Thank you. I know you love me. I love you. Just speaking that and just and starting to believe it and be obedient to his word and not those lies that I had in my in myself and in my old self. And now just learning to be obedient and humble enough to listen to someone that's not much older than I am as I'm here with you, Christopher. And mm-hmm. and uh, there's a we've had some times where you would point out and question some certain things and I would be stubborn and but yet then still show up the next day. Still kept showing up to to understand that there's a way that the word says to reconcile with someone, to come up and and actually humble myself enough to say, you know, I could talk through this and not take up my ball and run away and and go hide in isolation like I've done in the past. Um, to be obedient to his word that I am a child of God. And what does that truly mean to me? If I'm his child, he is my father that I could. He's given these words to go out and be and, and, and choose that costly grace to really lay down everything and follow him. So that just brings me to, you know, before we were Romans 12, too, we did have these curriculums and these standards of face to face discipleship and that's what really points me back to what truly Christ did and demonstrated throughout the whole Bible that he was one on one and he would go and he'd be one on one eyeball to eyeball and that's what it truly brings back to that costly grace and it's about that discipleship of knowing one another's story and be obedient to humble yourself enough to see that somebody's a little bit further down that narrow path and willing to come back and come alongside and that would transition thank you solid brother man and i appreciate you sharing and we'll get to that scripture that second corinthians 10 3 through 6 momentarily but the ministry focus that uh, that opportunity for us to be intentional and intense raw authentic good bad ugly beautiful vulnerable compassionate jesus-centered biblical principles from a culture for our community of men, which is exemplified, again, in this acronym of POPs. You had this opportunity to wrestle with those thoughts, good, bad, ugly thoughts, like bring them into the open, get them out there, because denial is what keeps us in disobedience. Amen? Amen. It's, it, and, and cheap grace thrives. Disobedience thrives in cheap grace. Like not being willing to see what the scripture actually says and being obedient to the word of God is what gets us in trouble. And again, we've talked about plank, but it's the speck that we tend to focus on more than the plank in our own eyes. So that that big switch, that big transition is absolutely necessary to come out of denial, to confess that we're sinners, to confess that we are not better than others, as you mentioned, and be able to bring it forward. And again, to listen to another flesh and blood instrument of God. Ultimately, though, you're being submissive and obedient to 
Christ. You're being obedient to the word of God, but it does go through other men, right? Men make men, and it's an opportunity, men and women. But in this case, again, we're focused on men. And the O and O and Pops, once again, obedience that that take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. Second Corinthians 10 six Romans 12 two men are in the process of becoming warriors for the kingdom of heaven by focusing on our thought life as that leads to words that lead to actions that lead to habits that lead to character that lead to destiny that leaves a legacy and here's the second Corinthians 10 three through six for though we live in the world we do not wage war as the world does the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world on the contrary they have divine power to demolish strongholds we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ and see that the term of take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ that that is sword point obedience. That is, as Isaac mentioned earlier, Dr. Roberts says we have on average 300 thoughts per minute. We can't out talk our thoughts. We speak at about a rate of 150 words per minute on average. So we're not going to ever out talk our thoughts. So we have to get our thought life right. We have to get down to the heart of what we do and think. And, and then, again, how we speak. So disrupt a man through discipleship, our plank. You have heard it said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in her heart, in his heart. Matthew 5, 27 through 28. Demand for child sex trafficking, the average age is 12, is not just about those who pay for illicit sex, which is really rape. It's sexual abuse. It's an abomination. Less than 2% of ever, ever rescued. The average lifespan is seven years once trapped in this horrible life, this, this, this hell on earth. Demand arguably is fueled by narrative, the stories we tell ourselves. That's why we had to get into the plank and into our thought life and into our what we're excusing in our daily walk of womanizing or measuring or lustful eyes or, or just wandering eyes that don't quite get to lust, but we're still commodifying human beings. Listen to Annalisa Enril's take on her from her article, How Demand Impacts Human Trafficking Statistics on a Global Scale, that we cited in Episode 4. The driving force of sex trafficking industry, while predator, predatory traffickers are the ones exploiting girls and women on a grand scale, Enril is interested in confronting the less scrutinized but more pervasive agents of sex trafficking industry, those soliciting paid sex. And see, we're going to take it down into that going on to pornography websites, going and utilizing because SEO is tracked and that's measured. You may not pay for it, but you're still participating in it and you're still fueling that industry. And then down into the down to the quick is is, is Jesus does. Lust equals adultery. Anytime that we're commodifying a human being, we are participating in this trafficking industry. The more demand, back to Enreal's quotes, the more demand increases for commercial sex, the more supply rises to meet the demand, she said. Enreal believes that this disturbing trend is fueled in part by the normalization of transactional relationships. People have come to believe it's normal, for instance, for a man to expect a sexual 
reward in return for taking a woman on a date. These kinds of beliefs are dangerous because they create a murky territory in which sexual exploitation becomes the status quo. With this normalization of transactional sex, an alarming trend has emerged among victims of the sex trafficking industry. Today, the average age is, again, is 12 and in the United States and 9 years old in Asia. At the same time, the age at which solicitors seek out commercial sex is also dropping. If we do not create effective solutions to curb demand among solicitors, just as we do to intervene among traffickers, we will not be able to really stop the problem. Creating solutions to reduce human trafficking, despite efforts to dispel such notions, many people still hold the belief that women who engage in prostitution have made the choice and can leave the industry at any time. In fact, many women who enter the sex trade do so against their will and are disenfranchised and powerless. According to recent studies, many as 90% of women in the sex trade were sexually abused. Again, back to our principles, I mean, our uh, testimony earlier, our plank, one out of three women are sexually abused, one out of six men. I'm in those categories. My wife's in a category where none, none, neither of us reported. Inreal proposes an economic solution to what she sees as an economic problem. My hope is to see more initiatives that provide job opportunities and avenues of financial assistance for women involved in the sex trade. A strong foundation of financial independence creates less opportunity for exploitation. Truly eliminating the problem, however, requires addressing the fundamental force behind the trafficking industry, those who solicit and purchase sex for late or labor. Inreal proposes harder uh, punishments and here to wrap up this episode above all in real wants to up in the social norms and enable systematic exploitation of sexual trafficking victims i want to shift the conversation from how we can serve these victims to how can we stop people from normalizing the commercial exploitation of people for sex how can we stop people from normalizing the commercial exploitation of people for sex? See, that normalization, again, our own plank and our own eye and in the church, 7 out of 10 Judeo-Christian men or 5 out of 10 male pastors are trapped in sexual bondage. Only 2 out of those have any place to go to talk about it. 93% of churches do not have a holistic manner to disrupt this, to break and demolish this addiction. Join us next time as we invite Ike back Ike to Isaac. I invite Isaac back. So join us next time as we invite Isaac back for episode seven, Ike to Isaac, part three, where we un- we show obedience in action. Proverbs three man realized his truest self uncovered, masked, removed. He's still in a process of growing, but he's going to give us more details on how applying this obedient belief, this belief that equals obedience, has manifested tremendous fruit in his life as he's pouring his life out for others to do just what is what is talked about here to move from how we help victims which is important to how we disrupt demand how we in demand for sex trafficking thank you and until next time god bless
You've been listening to Be Transformed with Reverend Christopher Lesper. Be Transformed is an outreach of Romans 12 to Men's Ministry. If you or someone you know needs confidential help or are looking for a place to serve, you can text or call Christopher at 512-238-0000 or Romans-12-2.org. That's Romans-the-number-one, number-two, letters T-W-O dot org.